Hi, I'm Richard Lang, and this is my friend Amaranato, who is a Buddhist monk, and he's going to share with us today how he uh, encountered headlessness and what effect it has in your life, yes? Hi, hello, my name's Amaranato, so it's, uh, it's lovely to be with you, Richard. Great. Uh, so, uh, w what was your first... Uh, exposure to headlessness? And... Well, uh, the monastery where I was living, Amravati, there was a monk there and uh, I used to always sort of meet him in the library and uh, he offered me one day this book on, on having no head, or rather stretch title. By Douglas. <laughs> By Douglas. And uh, I read it and it, 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 something hit me because it was with the Himalayas, it was with, um, with uh, India and I travelled a lot and I could visualise the scenes, I could visualise the mountains. So you connected with connected it? Connected with it straight away really. But I didn't connect with being headless and I, I couldn't work that one out. And my friend really didn't do the experiments with me. He just gave me the book as if like a koan. And I kept rereading this book, kept rereading this book and I kept trying to apply what was in the book. And there, there was no other books at the monastery at that time, there was just this one book. On having no head. On having no head. So I was trying to work it out. And I remember a couple of times there was these like peaks, these sort of like things would light up. And, I, and one day I remember I was walking in the woods at, in a monastery just outside opposite. And um, it was as if the trees had this light behind them and I wasn't there, but that everything else was. And it You were empty for it. I was empty for it. And suddenly it all clicked. It all sort of fell into place. But somehow I still didn't trust it, you know, because I'd had my training in meditation and it was far away and you've got to practice a lot. And, um, and then I sort of started applying it and then I was listening to my teacher, you know, at the monastery, Ajahn Samedha. Mm. And his practice was, now I know, very similar to Douglas's. But at that time... They I were did, good I, friends. They were good fact. friends, in fact. And I didn't realise that. And he, he would always speak about an immediate experience of, of what he calls the deathless. Yeah, my name means refuge in the deathless. Does it? Oh. it does. Yeah. Amara means death, ah, absence, and Nato means refuge. Mm. So I have a name that goes with <laughs> So he would speak about this deathless, and this, he would call it apperception, or uh, imminent act. Oh. And these were words that, yeah, okay, what does that really mean? You know, and then I'd have this practice of the sound of silence. I could hear this sort of cosmic hum. And he kept saying, trust yourself, make it immediate. And I was thinking, does he really mean that? You know, and, and I got to a point where I was, I was getting more and more confused because we have this practice of lots of meditation. And then all that Abbot would also say, stop meditating, don't so, meditate. And, right. and then I would have these... Uh, immediate experiences of this is it. And how long ago was this roughly? This was, uh, I would say, about five or six years ago, yes. something like that. Yes. You know. So and, what happened? And so what happened was I got to a point in my practice where I was wondering what I was actually doing, you know, and somehow I wanted to confirm what Ajahn Samedo was saying. And the only way I could really do that was to try and meet somebody who would also understood that, you mm -hmm. know, in such a clear way. And so I, I sent an email, or a letter, I think I sent a letter down to Douglas and said, I, I need to come and see you, I need to 
just check it, verify it, you know, what am I doing really? And um, so I got this lovely letter back from Catherine saying, come down whenever you want. Uh, and it, I really felt a heart connection there, you know, yes. very welcoming atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, so I, I caught the train down there and I, I think I went down for a weekend or, yeah, I'm sure a weekend. And I arrived at the uh, Ipswich, Ipswich station and uh, Catherine was there. And as I met her, I knew that was it. I had as powerful experience with Catherine as I did with Douglas. Mm. A very in, um, something just like it was as if we'd known each other, or, uh, and just there was nothing. To, we got in the car and there was hardly anything to say. Really, in a way, it was quite extraordinary. Other than like recognizing another part of yourself, you know. Mm. You know, mm. wonderful. It was yeah, it was quite magical actually, quite magical. Huh. And then going to see going into the house in Nacton and just being there. And my first experience was of this huge window looking out across a church. I sort of chuckled to myself, really, you know, uh, Douglas pointing to this uh, vastness, emptiness, no rules or regulations or convention other than here it is, mm -hmm. and then looking at opposite a church and what that signifies. And there was Douglas in, the, I think he was in the wheelchair at that point, right, probably. Yeah. And uh, just being with him. And then this sense of, um, I suppose, like a relaxation took place, really. You know, just let's sit round the table and have something to eat. And, you know, and then after we'd had something to eat, um, I think we did a few exercises, the tube. And, and Catherine and Douglas put on this lovely little show, which was just, yeah, it was heartwarming, really. And and it was just like a like a family space, to, you know. Yes. It just yeah. It was yes. just not nothing special. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and as a monk at that point, I didn't quite understand all the convention or how to use the convention. So being in that in that atmosphere at that time was quite freeing, right. you know. Right. And I was learning how to use the convention. Now, of course, I'm much more free in it because I've understood how to use it. The convention. The convention being the monastic discipline yeah. and meditation. Yes. In it, what I, I think I've noticed during this workshop is more in the sense of the way that you use the experiments as a convention to keep reminding oneself. That during this summer gathering. During this summer gathering. Yes. Then this is how I use my monastic discipline in the same way just to remind myself this is it it's got nothing to do with the monastic discipline or the meditation or wherever you live but it's just like that's like my language yes and uh, so how does the headlessness come out in your life or how, how what effect is it having alongside within your well it gives monastic me discipline? because I travel you know I travel a lot and I'm with lots of different people then I, it's the space that it creates for me. So the, the really classic ones, I travel on a tube a lot in London, it's kind of strange, but that, and they're always, it can be quite claustrophobic and people are pushing and staring at me or who is your way. And just by me just going, stepping back, if you like, I mean, it's not a stepping back movement, mm. but it, in my mind, it's my reminder to mm. open up. Mm to go back into this space, then I can receive everybody on the train. Mm. And through that, then these com amazing conversations happen. And of course, then you're receiving people for who they are. And when you do that, people receive you for who you are. And then it's, there's a meeting. Mm. And then I notice that when I 
I'm not doing that, then that's what I receive. That's what I see, the world. So I have a very clear choice. So you have, in a sense, uh, clearly dedicated your life (laughs) to awareness of this and, and living from this and teaching this when appropriate? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, in a way, this is the first principles, you know, uh, and, I, and I realized even Ajahn Sumedho said this, but I didn't understand it at the time. What do you well, mean the first principle? The first principle in a sense of to recognize who you truly are, and you can do anything that you like after that. Right? You want to play music, you want to delve into psychotherapy, you want to uh, be a, I don't know, a better a builder, a monk, whatever it is. Whatever, mm. it doesn't really matter. But the, most, mm. the core thing is to find out who you really are, because then you have a light you have a very strong torch which you can focus on anything and it will stay there. Mm. So then it becomes apparent, clear, obvious what you might need to do because you're connected to something that's bigger than you. Mm. When the light goes out, you become very limited and contracted and you don't know what to do. Mm. But as soon as one opens up into this awareness, then, then it becomes obvious. And even when it's not obvious, even when it is confusion and doubt and don't knows, then there's still the place in there which says trust that. So are you talking about your own experience as well there? Yeah, of course. Yeah, even now, you know, I'm in a period of change and confusion and doubt and bodily illness and all that sort of stuff. And that's just part of the course. How you does know? your awareness of the light or whatever you want to call yeah. it, how does that help you cope with confusion, doubt, change, illness? Because I know that that is just what it is. That, uh, from a, say, from a Buddhist point of view, suffering occurs when we split away from it. But when we're 100% with it, when we're with our headlessness, when we're with our space, then there can't be suffering. Because you are 100% with it. You, you are, that is it. That is what this moment is. You're here and now. Mm. So it's not resisting the moment, it's welcoming it. Welcoming it, accepting it. Yeah. And... Uh... I understand that your your Buddhist practice has been much to do with listening to silence. Yes. And seeing is more visual. Right. Way in. Yes, way in. Way in. Way in. Um, But are you conscious uh, of the visual and face to no face, for example? But I don't exclude... For me, they're not exclusive because Mm. the visual is so strong. You know, Mm. it's in a way, it's our... I mean, particularly in this age, it's our primary way... Of being in the world, there's so much visual input nowadays, you know, newspapers and media and all that sort of stuff. So I'm always trying to rest in the, in both, both mm. the, like like right now, there's a sense of no head and I hear the sound of silence. They're mm. not they're not, not se- separate. Not two. No. And 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 say, you know, the headlessness doesn't appear for some unknown reason, yeah, it's whatever, then there's the sound of silence. So for some unknown reason, the sound of silence is not so strong as the headless. So it's more complementary, you know. And the, these both point to that one must be relaxed. Yeah, you can't make yourself relaxed. You can't force yourself to see the headless or listen to the sound of silence, but you just rest in that. And then there it is. So, you know, even walking along the streets, you know, in London, you know, I'm looking for space. I'm not looking for people. I'm not looking to be head-to-head with people. I'm not looking for them to see me as the monk and all the rest of it. I'm just looking for space. And if somebody comes into that space, then they're welcome. Yeah? Mm. 
And if I feel that they that that they're not welcome, then I also trust that because that's also part of it. Mm. It's not to that every you know you can say yes to the experience, but also there's a sense of well maybe not right now. So I remember being in Covent Garden and there was a whole group of football hooligans all a bit drunk. And there was a sense of, I don't need to do that anymore. But that I would... think I'll go down a side street. <laughs> I think I'll go down a side street dressed in like this. And um, I mean, and the, the other thing that it really helps with, which we were speak, speaking earlier about, is facilitation. Yes. You know, that, that's, in a way, that's my pr primarily where I... How does come. it help? Well, with facilitation... I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be the person there, even directing. I'm just the space. So I don't need to make a demand on that a group is a particular way, or even if they want to complain about me. I once had a guy told me last year I was doing a thing, an interfaith thing, and I showed a bit of a, you could say, a wishy-washy video, you know, nice new agey type thing about investigation or something like that, curiosity. And there was a media teacher there, of course, who completely hit on it. Oh, you religious people, you always show all these wishy-washy videos and make us feel all gooey. And he was getting more and more and more angry with me and more upset. And of course, one can react to this sort of thing. You know, you can just say, well, you know, you're, why are you having a go at me? I, like, like, all that sort of stuff go, can go on inside. But actually, I just decided to receive him. Mm, it's very powerful. Very powerful. And I just said, it sounds like you're really angry mm. and you, like, you really need to express that. Mm. And he said, yes, I do. Mm. And that was the end of it. Mm. It's right? a very wise space, isn't it's it? It's a very wise space. And that didn't come from me. No. no. That came from me being willing to stay open to that. I mean, there was a little bit of post-processing after that, which yes. was quite interesting. Yes. But at that time, it, it gives really, you know, gives both people an opportunity to go. Yeah. There's a space there. I mean, I think the the greatest thing that Douglas ever told me was, you know, you're you are the solution. Looking at the problem, <laughs> that has never left me. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's brilliant. Brilliant. It's so brilliant. And you don't have to know. Don't have to you can know. rest with unknowing. You can rest with the unknowing. And, that, and that's just, it's tremendous, really. Your true nature is innocent. So how can anybody ever take that away from you? How can anybody ever really hurt you? So if you're resting in your own innocence, then you must be giving other people the opportunity to rest in theirs. Well, lovely to rest in the innocence <laughs> together with you, Amranato. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's wonderful. Lovely. Thank you, Richard. Yes, yes, capacity for each other. A capacity for each other. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>